Gazette Newspapers presents the Parting Shots Podcast. Now, here's your host, Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor, Ken Schott. Thank you, Scott Geezy, and welcome to the Parting Shots Podcast. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CastBox, and SoundCloud. Subscribe today. Thanks for joining me from the Parting Shots Podcast Studio in Schenectady, New York. We have another great show for you. In my second segment, I will preview the Masters Golf Tournament with Brian Catrick, host of Catrick and McGinnis on tap, nice on Sirius PGA Tour radio channel, and the lead voice of the Masters coverage for Westwood One. Last Friday, billionaire Steve Cohen officially became the new owner of the New York Mets, and the house cleaning began with the firing of general manager Brody Van Wegenen and most of his front office staff. Cohen held a Zoom press conference Tuesday uh, to talk about the uh, what Cohen said is our friend from Newsday, uh, Tim Healy. Tim, uh, welcome back, and uh, I'm surprised you didn't have $2.4 billion to spend to a uh, spare change lying around to buy the Mets. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I was looking at my car cup holders to see if I could find the rest, but I came up a little short. So here I am still just covering the team for uh, what, what should be an exciting new era. Yeah, talk about Steve Cohen. Yeah, what is he like? Uh, he seems like a very, uh, for a guy who's got billions of dollars, he seems like a nice guy. Yeah, based on what I can, what I've gleaned from talking to people who know Steve Cohen, from what I saw during his introductory news conference, considering he has an estimated net worth of fourteen billion dollars, he sounds like and seems like a pretty normal person, which <laughs> uh, maybe, you know, I, I don't, I can't claim to know a lot of billionaires, but I would bet not too many of them are, uh, come off as just the a- average regular Joe, like Steve Cohen seemed to do yesterday. He is a Mets fan, and Mets fans see, them, see him as one of them, except with a lot more money, and now he gets to make the decision. So it should be very interesting to see how it all unfolds, but as far as introductory news conferences go, that was a, a real home run for Steve Cohen and Sandy Alderson. Yeah. Uh, he talked about, uh, Cohen talked about he's going to be willing to spend money, but he's going to be reasonable about it. We're not going to be, I think what he said, a, a drunken sailor or, you know, spending money. He's going to be uh, very judicious with it. He's going to spend where he needs to spend. So I mean, the Mets fans obviously want to see this team improve. It, and, you know, they want to see uh, uh, the Mets go after uh, – big free agent. So you, do you think Cohen's going to be tempted to really spend a lot of money and maybe go overboard a little bit, or is he going to be very cautious, you think? I expect him to do what needs to be done. And this year, you know, if you're looking at the Mets this offseason and how they look on paper right now, they have certain obvious needs, right? Starting pitcher, catcher especially, maybe center field. They need some bullpen help. Uh, I, I, I wouldn't expect multiple big-ticket items, multiple gigantic contracts, but I, I'll put it this way. I would be surprised if the Mets didn't come away with at least one of Real Muto, Springer, Bauer, maybe throw Lindor via trade into that category. Um, this is the new world for the Mets. Anything is possible for them financially uh, after years of that not being so much the case. And, uh, you know, he... he said yesterday that he's going to give Sandy Alderson and the eventual baseball operations leader, whoever that is, the necessary resources. 
And this offseason, the way things are shaping up, there are going to be a lot of really good deals to be had for teams that are willing to just spend a regular amount of money because so many teams are looking to cut costs. Yeah, obviously, you know, you mentioned Real Muto, and I mean, I'm a Phillies fan, and I, I'm really, I'm going to be really upset if I, I think they mishandled that thing from the get go. So if it goes in a match, this is going to make my mind just go crazy. But I mean, obviously, with the pandemic, you're going to see a lot of teams not maybe spend money. But he obviously, Steve Cohen didn't lose money out of this pandemic with you know and, and buying the team. So maybe the, he has a little more money to spend, and that gives him an advantage. Yeah, absolutely. He is the only owner in baseball who didn't have to deal with the economic disruption that this year brought, right? Yeah, if anything, maybe he made money in the stock market, you know? (laughs) Uh, I can't really speak to the specifics of that, but it's it's certainly possible. Um, Yeah, you know, you mentioned JT Real Muto. Uh, It's going to be really tough for the Phillies if he stays in the division, and so they have to face him regularly. And they have to face Sixto Sanchez and the Marlins regularly. Of course, the prospect they gave up for him a couple of seasons ago. Um, but it, it, uh, as far as Steve Cohen's money, you know, like I said, the spending across baseball is expected to be down this offseason. So if he can just stay competitive with what in most years would be a normal amount of spending, then that is great news for the Mets, and, and it seems like it's going to be a very attractive destination for players. And I think I think just saw earlier today, where as we taped this on Wednesday, Marcus Stroman accepted his qualifying order offer, and he's going to be. He said he's pretty excited to play for Steve Cohen. So that's that's a big boost for the yeah. Mets since Stroman opted out this year. Yeah, definitely. The Mets came into the offseason with a ton of rotation questions, and that plugs up one of the holes. Right now, they're looking at Degrom plus Marcus Stroman, plus David Peterson that you can pencil into the rotation. Seth Lugo's role is a little bit up in the air. Noah Syndergaard will come back from Tommy John surgery probably around Memorial Day or so. Um, So the Mets still have some work they need to do rotation-wise, but Stroman returning for 2021 definitely uh, answers one of the big questions. Of course, I mentioned at the top of this that uh, there was some house cleaning on last Friday after uh, the ink dried on the uh, check to the Wilpons. Um, Brody Van Wagen and out. That really didn't take that. Was that a surprise to you? Because, I mean, it just it's happened so quickly right after the announcement that the uh, uh, Cohen got uh, the, was in control of the Mets. Yeah, Brody Van Wagen losing his job didn't really surprise me. That it happened two hours after the deal closed was a little more surprising. I, I, I I didn't expect it to come that fast, and honestly, I, I didn't expect the house cleaning to be as thorough as it was. Both assistant GMs, the farm director, uh, Omar Minaya, who was a, like a senior scout overseeing amateur scouting uh, the last couple of years. Of course, it, himself a former general manager of the Mets. Uh, it was basically almost all of Brody's entire inner circle of executives, so uh, it made it clear that Sandy Alderson has Basically, all of the power here. So uh, good, good for Sandy. He had a rough go when he was GM previously. So uh, looking forward to seeing what he does with it this time. What did what did Brody do right? What did Brody do wrong? Um, that's a good question. It's probably easier to start with uh, what did Brody do wrong. I think <laughs> you start with his first move: the Cano Diaz Jared Kelnick 
blockbuster with the Mariners, right? Yeah. I think Mets fans are going to uh, miss Jared Kelnick for probably his entire career if he pans out to be the sort of player that a lot of people think he can be. Uh, you look at the free agent signings Brody Van Wagenen made, and, and there aren't a lot of hits. Justin Wilson was pretty good, but after that, Ramos underwhelmed. Jed Lowry never played. Uh, Michael Waka and Rick Porcello weren't very good. Jerry's Familia hasn't been very good. Um, so there were a lot of misses there. What he does well, I think he should get some credit for signing Jacob DeGrom to that contract extension. Um, looks like a very team-friendly deal now. Uh, and the drafts were solid. Notably, the people who run the drafts for the Mets, Tommy Tanis and Mark Tremuda, uh, they will both be back under Sandy and under Steve Cohen. So uh, the good stuff that happened in Mets drafts under Brody and under Sandy previously over the last decade or so, um, that should remain the case moving forward. Of course, right now the manager is still going to be Luis Rojas, but is, is, is he on thin ice? I don't really feel as good ice. The way Sandy Alderson put it was that he was, quote, very likely to be back in 2021. Sandy explained that he left the door ajar because whatever president of baseball operations comes in, uh, Sandy wants that guy to have a say in who the manager is. So there's a chance Rojas does not come back, but as of now, I, I definitely expect him to come back. I mean, is it really fair? It's a 60-game season this season. So, I mean, is it really fair to judge uh, Rojas on, on that? Because, yeah, I mean, we had this, it's basically a throwaway season. It's, you know, it's one of those, you know, we had a pandemic and it was just an odd, an odd season. Definitely an odd season for all the reasons you mentioned. And 60 games alone, even a normal-ish 60 games, isn't nearly enough to evaluate uh, a rookie manager. The way I put it before, I might have put it this, to you before, to put it this way to you before too, but if we were in a regular season, a normal season, and got to Memorial Day, you probably wouldn't look at a general, at a, at a rookie manager and say, ah, you know what, I'm out on this guy, let's make a change, right? And 60 games is what 2020 had, but basically opening day to Memorial Day in a normal year. Um, and that's just not nearly enough uh, data, really, to make any sort of judgment on Luis Rojas as a manager. So he had a lot of fans in the game, in the clubhouse, in the organization at the time he got hired. And 60 games later, that's still the case. We mentioned Sandy Alderson. He's uh, coming back as uh, team president. What does he bring coming back to this organization? Because, I mean, does he bring stability and that knowledge that uh, the Mets fans uh, are hoping uh, that they make the right decisions? Yeah, it, definitely a lot of stability. Um, you know, he's two years removed from being general manager, so he still knows a lot of the players who came into the organization under him. He knows a lot of the remaining executives, you know, John Rico, Ian Levin, the draft guys, Tommy Tanis and Mark Chimita. So there is some sense of continuity there, even though major change is happening. And then you also just have a, a, a longtime baseball guy who is immensely respected throughout the game. Right, Sandy sort of striking when he mentioned it yesterday, but he said he hadn't won the World Series in 31 years, which is a very long time. Of obviously, yeah. um, you know, uh, it's been a little longer for the Mets, of course. But it's just striking to remember that Sandy Alderson, many stops ago in his career, 
ran the A's and ran those ran those 80s, you know, 1980s World Series winning Oakland Athletics. Um, so he's a big guy who's been around a long time. He knows a lot. He knows a lot of stuff. And uh, now, now that he's not GM, but he's team president, so he's essentially replacing Jeff Wilpon in that role. Um, it, it's going to be uh, fun to see what he can do with a little more authority, a little more resources. There, I guess there was an issue between Cohen and uh, New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio. Uh, what was the whole situation about? Because it seemed like that was throwing a wrench into the deal. Yeah, it seemed to me that uh, Bill de Blasio was just playing hard to get. What the resolution ended up being Steve Cohen donate, donating you know, however many millions of dollars to charity uh, in Queens, in New York City. So uh, it looked like an unofficial shakedown to me, but Steve Cohen can swing it. <laughs> yeah, that's like he's got pocket change uh, lying around. So, uh, yeah. So what do you think uh, with all this change? Do you think the Mets could contend for the National East? Because you know, we see the Atlanta Braves in mean, another solid year, even though it was a short year, and they got a great young pitching staff. And uh, the Marlins, uh, you know, Don Mattingly on Tuesday night named Manager of the Year. And, I mean, that's another exciting team. You know, and it seems like this division is going to be very tough if, once we get back to 162-game season. Absolutely agreed. The NL East has been tough. was tough this year. It's going to be tough for the foreseeable future. You know, you mentioned it. Uh, Nationals just a year removed from a championship. The Marlins on the rise. The Mets should be better than they were this year. And, and then the Phillies also fall into that category of should have been better than they were this year. But we don't know yet what moves the offseason will bring for the Mets or anybody else. But to me, it's going to be a deep playoff run or bust for the Mets. Um, I expect big things from them major league personnel-wise, front office-wise, and basically every way. So the expectations are going to be very high for the Steve Cohen bet. Mentioned playoffs. Let me ask you this question. We saw the expanded playoffs this year because of the short and regular season, and it seems the Major League Baseball Commissioner Rob Manfred liked it, having a 16-team playoff. And a lot of fans are saying, no, it's that's too, you know, it's, you know, it's a, maybe a good one-time thing for the short season, but 162-game season, it's, it's just re- really uh, watered down the regular season. What are your thoughts? I mean, do you like to see an expanded playoff? Or, or if, if they do it, would they shorten the regular season? I do not like the regular – I do not like the expanded playoffs. 16 teams was way too many. 14 is still too many. 12 I also wouldn't like. To me, 10 is probably about the max, but even when they expanded it to 10, I didn't like it that much. Um, that said, the one-game wildcard playoff is a, is a pretty fun day. Um, I, so I, I don't like the expanded playoffs. I suspect they will keep some version of it because playoff television money is huge money, and owners like money. Um, for the same reason, I don't expect them to shorten the regular season because that would also mean them making less money. Um, so it's all about money for MLB and the owners, even as it means, as you said, watering down the regular season. Um, you know, we saw it this year, and, and it's, it remains possible, and say a team, a 14-team playoff field, but just the idea that you could be under 500 or barely above 500 and get into the playoffs, that just doesn't sit right with me. That's what I, that's what I like about the NBA or the 
MLB playoffs compared to NBA, for example, mm-hmm. where it's just, it's just way too big. Same with the NHL. Too, too many teams involved. Takes too long. Let's just keep, let's just keep it to 10 and, and, you know, keep the regular season as it is. Hey, I like the NHL playoffs. Come on, I like too much. That's the best time of year. <laughs> <laughs> They're fun. It, yeah. just, it just takes way too long. <laughs> Well, this year it took way, way too long. But uh, right, right, that's <laughs> I got a couple questions from some listeners here for you, Tim. Um, Cindy Winters is asking, "What does? Uh, what do you think about the announcement uh, of the Mets staying affiliated with Binghamton? Will it truly last? Everything I have read says nothing about length of commitment. Can the organization in Binghamton finally relax a little?" I think that is part of the attendance problem. Fans always wondering if they will have a team to cheer for and not knowing any players. In days gone by, there were solid relationships with the fans there, New York, and the players. Yes, I. I now that we know the Mets are going to be in Binghamton under the new minor league baseball structure, I expect them to remain there indefinitely. You know, I, I know it's been a question uh, through years, you know, they went through an ownership change, they changed their name, tried to, I think at this point they have made some improvements and renovations to the ballpark itself, Um, but I I think now, yes, the community can relax, there is a commitment there, Um, that, that, that they have survived this restructuring, um, there are a lot of minor league teams out there that will no longer have a major league partner, but that Binghamton does uh, is a good thing for the longer term commitment the Mets and MLB generally uh, have have to that minor league team. And it sort of makes sense. So I, have... I, I say rest easy, enjoy the game. And it sort of makes sense because you have the AAA team up uh, Interstate 81 in Syracuse. So if you want to move players between Syracuse and Binghamton, that's that's a that's a smart move. So I, I think that's a great it's great for Binghamton. Yeah, the geography is good. I'm not sure yet if Binghamton will stay Double A or perhaps become High A with mm-hmm. Brooklyn becoming Double A. Mm-hmm. That part is a little up in the air, as, as last I heard. Um, but either way, honestly, the Mets have some have a pretty steady flow of prospects coming through their system. So there should be some more players, more fun players to go see in Binghamton, no matter what level it is. Yeah. And Rob Jonas is asking, who are the leading candidates to become the next Mets scapegoat? I mean, general manager. <laughs> uh, that, that's a good joke, but I'll be curious to see if that remains the case under the new regime, you know? Uh, maybe they don't need scapegoats as frequently as they did under the Wilpon. Uh, as far as names, it's, it's, it's hard to say. I can't tell you definitively any particular person who is a candidate. They've done a really good job of keeping that under wraps so far. I would say one name that I think would be a good idea and it's worth keeping an eye on is Eric Neander from the Tampa Bay Rays. Um, We saw a bunch of years ago when the Dodgers made a change, they hired Andrew Friedman from the Rays, right? And, Mm -hmm. And everybody knows the Rays do a lot of winning with a little bit of money. And when Andrew Friedman went from the small market raise to the big market, big budget, brand new Dodgers, it's worked out really well for them, obviously culminating in a World Series this year. I think the same thing can happen if the Mets hire Eric Neander. He runs the baseball operation for the Rays. Um, they have made, you know, continued to be a very 
efficient, good, effective organization, as, as Yankees fans, I'm sure, can tell you. Um, so he would be a good choice, definitely. You could have Matt Klintak, the former Phillies general manager. He's available. <laughs> yeah, his stock might not be as high right now. <laughs> No, it's not. Trust me. I'm glad he's not there anyway. Well, Tim, appreciate a few minutes. Uh, if I don't talk to you before the end of the year, uh, have a great uh, Christmas and uh, Thanksgiving, and uh, we'll uh, definitely talk in 2021. And if there's any news coming up with the general manager, we'll, we'll talk about talk then. All right. Right back at you. Good, good talking, Tim. All right. That's Tim Healy. Up next, it's Masters Talk with Brian Katrick. You're listening to the Parting Shots Podcast. I'm Dr. Howard Zucker, New York State's Health Commissioner. It's flu season, and it's always a good idea to get the flu shot. But this year, it's more important than ever. A flu shot won't prevent COVID-19, but it will lower your chances of getting seriously sick from the flu. If you do get sick, the shot can lessen your symptoms and help you feel better sooner. The last thing you or the healthcare system needs during this pandemic is a bad flu season. So please, protect yourself and your community. Get a flu shot now. Hi, this is Rob Keith, head coach of the Albany Empire. You are listening to the Parting Shots podcast with Daily Gazette Associates Force Editor Ken Shot. Welcome back to the podcast. The Masters is called a tradition like no other, but this year it's not being played in April because of the coronavirus pandemic. The Masters is being played this week, starting Thursday. To talk about the Masters, my guest is the host of Katrick and McGinnis on Tap weeknights on the Sirius XM PGA Tour Radio Channel. He is also the lead voice of the Masters coverage for Westwood One. Here is Brian Katrick. Brian, I uh, appreciate you coming on a few minutes, and uh, thank you for your time. Ken, it's great to be on with you. Love, uh, love, uh, love being on. Appreciate that. Well, let's get right to it. Just how strange does it feel to be at Augusta National the second week in November when the leaves are falling from the trees than being there in April when everything is in bloom? Well, the blooming part was a bit of a mystery because I, I felt like they could get some flowers if they wanted. I actually, I, I like the decision to just leave it as it is. I happen to live in Atlanta and I've lived in Atlanta for, for over 30 years. So, so I know what the colors are supposed to be and when they're supposed to be there. And it, you know, we're going to get the leaves changing this time of year, as opposed to the flowers, as you pointed out. But I thought, you know, we'd probably still see something. You can get some flower to bloom if you want to, but they said, no, we're not going to do that. You know, it's, 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 they're going to let this stand alone and, and the, the stand of, of bushes and trees behind the green at 12 and behind the green at 13 that are so picturesque with so many colors in the spring. Uh, they're not going to make them artificial. They're, they're just green. So you're going to see that. It's going to stand out. You'll see some browns and some oranges up in the treetops, and, and that'll be enough color. You know, that's that's what they're going to do this year. And, you know, that's what Mother Nature's doing. So I, I like that decision. How different is it for the golfers uh, playing the Masters in the fall as opposed to the spring? I mean, will there be any strategy, different strategy to play, playing these, uh, playing the, the golf course? Well, I think what you heard, Ken, coming in from a lot of folks, they're just playing their hunches, which was, well, the ball's not going to go as far because it's colder. Uh, and it's not going to roll as far. Well, it, as it turns out, it's not going to roll as far because the week has been filled with rain. Uh, as a matter of fact, you know, the opening round, is, we're – we're going to struggle for the first couple of days. Uh, that's the reason why they won't get the release. 
I've been in the in the area. Atlanta is two hours east or two hours west of Augusta. I've worn shorts on Christmas, probably half of my Christmases. You just don't know what you're going to get. Uh, the way we've gotten it with the temperatures, this Masters week is going to be warmer than Masters week in April was. Uh, and, it, and it's likely to be warmer than the next Masters uh, in next April. So the weather gods kind of looked at us and, and smiled at us, and we got a good warm week. We could have had a cold one, yeah. You know, and that's and we've got a we got a hurricane that's that's pushing up and that's that's kind of kind of trying to change the temperatures behind it. Uh, and then it will be cold next week, but we're not playing next week. We're playing this week, and we got a warm one. Well, that's good. That's no, great to hear. It, uh, I know it's it, we're, everybody's looking forward to. It. I know a lot of people were disappointed that was. Uh, uh, postponed in April. As we're taping this on Monday, Brian, it was announced that Sergio Garcia has withdrawn from the uh, Masters of the, uh, because of a po- uh, positive COVID-19 test. I mean, how disappointing is it for him to uh, be out? And is there other concerns that other golfers could test positive? Well, I think every player in the field is concerned about testing positive. Uh, right now, I don't think too many of them are concerned about their own health uh, they're concerned about the health of their their families and loved ones and anyone who may be. Uh, I mean, these guys are in great shape. I don't know, none of these guys are worried about themselves. They're worried about their others, and they're also worried about missing the event. This is a big deal for them, and uh, for something that, as careful as the tour has been since the restart back in June, and, and as low as the numbers have been, uh, we've still had. Uh, you know, I think we've had. 12-ish. I think Sergio may have been the 13th positive test. Maybe it, It's less than 20 going back to June. So really for your number to come up on a week that there's a major championship is just really, really unlucky. Uh, I, I think I think the numbers have been, been conclusive enough to show it's not careless out here on the PGA Tour. That's just unlucky. And uh, you feel bad for Sergio. You know, here's a guy that, that told us a few years ago, that he's not good enough to win major championships. And then just a couple of years after that, won this one. That's the crowning jewel of his career. He would say that the crowning jewel of his career is the Ryder Cups. I'm pretty sure a Masters champion is what's going to be listed first on his Hall of Fame plaque. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's what it's going to say. It may say Players Championship first, uh, but it's, it's that's what's going to be listed. And, and Sergio will be missed, and it's a shame that he has to miss it. Now, I, I should have looked this up, or I apologize if I sound like a dumb question here, but are the fan, there's not going to be any fans there, or what's, what's going to, I'm sorry, I should say patrons, that's, it's Augusta, but are there going to be any patrons there, or is it just going to be uh, quiet there? Uh, none, none whatsoever, and, and just going back, people talk about that a lot, um, the, the, the fans here are treated differently, it's, it's a little more special, and that's why why the club refers to them as patrons and that's why that's the word you hear you know it's it's almost like uh, the difference between a house guest and somebody you see at the grocery store you know you've invited these folks in and they treat them differently they treat them like guests rather than paid attendees uh, and anybody that's ever been here will tell you that and that's it's a special experience so that's why you hear you know it sounds a little hoity-toity or you know we don't call them fans we call them patrons it's trying to indicate that it's a different experience here. And that was a, a pained decision, I'm sure, for the club because, you know, if they had fans out on the PGA Tour the last two weeks. Mm-hmm. We played two weeks ago, we played in Bermuda with limited fans. Now, 
they didn't have that many folks because you know Bermuda's an island, as you're aware. <laughs> Last week in Houston, the number was two thousand per day, and it looked striking on television. I mean, it was it was like night and day. All of a sudden, even a number as small as two thousand fans looked like two hundred thousand fans. Yeah. It sounded like a million. So, so you know that the club wanted to do it, uh, but keep in mind you're trying to protect. All of the entities involved. Obviously, safety is first and foremost. That sounds like a canned answer. The other thing that is high on their priority list is protecting the reputation of the players, protecting the reputation of the members. Mm -hmm. All of these members run companies. Uh, These are very talented and very powerful men and women. And if, if somehow... You you are viewed as your club is viewed as doing something irresponsibly. It could easily translate to you know you know this we're in a cancel culture you know that Ken yeah. it could easily trigger you know okay well now all of a sudden we're protesting outside company X because that company's CEO is a member at Augusta National and they allowed fans it's just it's a problem they didn't need there's no question they wanted folks here uh, but I think this was this was the wise choice. Well, how did the golfers uh, react to the fans at Houston? Because they, they, they had to feel good that finally somebody, you know, there were people actually there watching them play. I think you're right. Uh, you know, it was, it's a whole different experience. You know, and interestingly, you get a young man in Carlos Ortiz that wins for the first time, and I think you were going to get emotions anyway out of him. Uh, that was a career-changing moment for him. He actually played his way into the April Masters now. Uh, but I think you saw more emotion because everybody else felt it and it just built. Uh, I think the players will tell you to a man they'd rather hear the crowd applaud a good shot because it gets you pumped up. I mean, we've, we've heard guys years past talk about factoring in adrenaline on various shots. Well, you know, so you, you hit your eight iron 100 and 165 yards. Well, Maybe at 165, we're gonna we're gonna hit a nine iron in an adrenaline moment. It might go a little farther. Uh, well, you get that from the fans. You get that from the moment as well. But you get that from the fans. So that's been missing these last couple of major championships. Well, let's talk about the uh, tournament. I, and every time, every major tournament, the, the name Tiger Woods always comes up. They wonder how he's going to do. He's the defending champion uh, of this Masters tournament. What do you think his chances are? Is he playing? Is he playing well? He's not playing well, Ken. (laughs) It's a a great question. Uh, Tiger hasn't had a great start since he won the Zozo Championship a year ago. You know, he's just had a a bunch of of weeks where he couldn't put four days together. Now, the facts of the matter, and Tiger's not going to make excuses, uh, but he has laid this out for us. You know, the facts of the matter are he's not healthy enough to have four healthy days in a row very often. And a major championship week, you kind of need five and six healthy days in a row. And that's very rare with all the surgeries that he's had specifically on his back, uh, you know, the knee as well. But it's really specifically the back that's, that's causing him the trouble. So rule of thumb is if it's warm, he's got a better chance than if it's cold. Well, I just told you, we talked about it already. This is warmer than it would have been in April, and, uh, warmer than it's likely to be next April. We've got a good warm week. It's the warmest of the majors this year. By far, yeah, and they didn't even play the British Open, which is usually the coldest <laughs> major. So uh, we didn't see anything close to eighty in the other two, and we're going to get a couple of days in the eighties here. So that helps Tiger, but it really, honestly, it, 
if if he was doing this podcast with you instead of me, Ken, he couldn't tell you at at eight p.m. the night before what he's going to feel like at seven a.m. the next morning. Yeah, it's a total mystery to him, and he's taking care of his body as best he can. And we're all of a certain age that that's where it is. He he his gas tank doesn't go to full anymore. It only goes to three quarters full. <laughs> that's just, he doesn't get to a hundred percent. That's as good as he's going to get. Uh, people always want to be the first one in the tournament week to say, oh, Tiger's hurt. Well, you know what? You can stop the contest because if you see Tiger on TV, he's hurt. Yeah. And, oh, by the way, he's not alone. There's a whole lot of other people out here that, that are playing banged up. And when they feel good, they play good. And when they don't, they don't. And Tiger is now in that group. How much did it mean, not just for Tiger, but some of the other golfers? You know, obviously, there was a pause in the season. How much did that affect some of the golfers? I think it affected everybody differently. We were very fortunate in our sport in that the, the pandemic that hit, hit in such a way that you could participate in our sport. Uh, you know, it's an individual sport. You don't have to get anywhere, anywhere near anybody. You're outside the whole time. Uh, you don't have to touch anybody else's equipment in any, any fashion. So just, just the, the parameters of what we're dealing with with this virus happen to line up well with with how this sport operates uh obviously that's not the case in some of the other sports so uh so i think it was easier on golfers than it was anybody else i mean you're the, those are the professional ranks if your course was closed you probably had some sort of practice facility at your house or you could get somewhere that you had access to a practice facility and Unlike other sports, you don't have a teammate. You don't need to, you know, we don't have to practice the spread option here, and I don't need to know where the slot back is and, and practice the timing. I don't care where the slot back is. If I can chip today, I can chip tomorrow. And, you know, so they, this is a game you can get to the highest level working on your own away from everybody else. So it just worked. We were very, very fortunate. So who are you looking at as the favorite in this uh, uh, this year's Masters? Well, Vegas likes Bryson DeChambeau. Where people thought Bryson was crazy, they said that he was crazy. Uh, Bryson DeChambeau, by hitting it a long way, taking taking a definitely a, a different look, an atypical strategy. Uh, it was easy to second guess him and easy to say he was crazy up until he won the U.S. Open by six shots. Yeah. <laughs> At that point. You know, now he's not so crazy. And oh, by the way, he's even longer now. And that strategy that he used there at Winged Foot is probably going to work even better for the most part at Augusta. Now, the green complexes are a lot more demanding at Augusta. And, uh, and Bryson's still the weakest part of his game is the chipping. You know, the, the little short shots, that's 60 yard and in. That's the weakest statistical part of his game. Now, he's very good in that category. But statistically, it's the weakest, and he's he's playing to that more often than anybody else in this field. Uh, he still feels like even his worst pitch shot from 40 yards is better than his average approach shot from 140 yards. He's run the numbers. He's a numbers guy. We rolled our eyes at the strategy until it worked, So, and it worked emphatically. So I think Bryson is... Uh, is the guy, but Brooks Kepka shot five under in his last round coming in here. Dustin Johnson was in contention in his last round coming in here. Uh, Justin Thomas, I think, has uh, has some work left to do based on having a close call at the U.S. Open, and he played 
bad golf and still almost won at Zozo. Uh, I think I think he plays better when he's got a little something to prove. Uh, you know, Rory's getting to fly under the radar. When's the last time that happened? Mm-hmm. So you can make a strong case, really, for anyone probably in the top 20 in the world. It's it's a pretty wide open field, right? Is there anybody particular that's, you mentioned Rory, but uh, is there anybody else out there that maybe the, the public's not focused on you think that could maybe surprise? Uh, well, you know, it's just a, a surprise if the guy that won the tournament two years ago wins again, and that would be Patrick Reed. Uh, but we haven't said his name much uh, in a golf context. There's been plenty of controversy surrounding Patrick Reed, but you know, it's a guy that still knows his way around here, still chips and putts about as good as anybody in the game. And, uh, you know, that's that's a guy that nobody's talking about because the other superstars, the more popular ones, are getting all the headlines, which, by the way, is just fine with Patrick. Yeah. You said you live in Atlanta. I'm going to ask you a baseball question. Do you like the Braves? Of course. Uh, Why? How, how could you not? <laughs> well, well, one of the pitchers there is uh, – Ian Anderson, he's from uh, up here in Clifton Park, New York, should I know high school graduate. What did you think of him, his performance this year? Well, I wasn't a big enough Braves fan to tell you what his record was, but I can tell you that the team, you know, the team obviously, uh, it still feels like they overachieved. They feel like they underachieved, and I think that's a pretty good spot to be in as a, uh, as a casual Braves fan. Obviously, pitching in a short season when you couldn't really get any rotation or any any rhythm going, uh, you can't really put a whole lot of stock in in any of the shortcomings. I think I think I would assume that Ian, much like the rest of the team, when you got a team that's that good, you're looking for 162 games. Yeah. You know, you don't you don't want to play the short sprint. You want to play the long run because the more games they play, the more games they're going to win. I'm a Phillies fan, so I hate the Braves. Oh, fair enough. <laughs> I'm from Philadelphia. So. <laughs> I won't talk about the Falcons the way they blew them these years. We'll, we'll skip that part. But uh... <laughs> <laughs> the team is so good. The Falcons may be the best team in the league, and they have three wins. Yeah, <laughs> just cannot the most listen, most talented team in the league. And they have three wins because they don't know the rules and they don't know. They just, oh, I, what a mess. I tell you, my, my son is 20 years old. He got so angry about that onside kick that the Falcons just let Dallas recover. It just, he was, his face was beat red when that happened. And I was like, I was the same way. It's like, how do you not know the rules about an onside kick? But, uh, that's yeah, that was, that was inexcusable. But look, here's the good news as, as a fan of the NFC East. Now your conference has what, like four total wins, so or your division. Yes. <laughs> the Falcons had read the rule book. Your division will only have three total wins, or whatever it is. <laughs> well, Brian, let me give you a chance to promote yourself. Uh, where can people find you on social media? Uh, I'm not much of a social media guy, Ken, but bless your heart for asking. I'm on Twitter at bkatrick, but uh, you know it's. It's a conservative sport we deal with, and I'm not uh, I'm not much of a spotlight type of guy. So I'll I'll do a lot of liking, I'll do some retweeting and some commenting, but uh, I'm kind of a boring Twitter follow, <laughs> to be honest with you. Our channel's great at SiriusXM PGA Tour. Uh, any of the good sound that you get off of our channel all week, uh, you know, we've got tremendous interviews, great hosts, wall to wall, some of the biggest names in the game. And they show up, and then I just usually retweet their stuff. <laughs> so, so I'd follow the channel if I were you. One, one final question for you. What is it like calling golf on the radio? Well, 
Ooh, that's an interesting final question. I've been lucky enough, Ken, to be doing it uh, been doing it for a long time. I, I started working for Terrestrial PGA Tour Radio in 1998, and uh, they were doing it. They had been doing it for a couple of years before that commercially, and there was a group in Hartford that had been doing the tournament in Hartford for years before that. I mean, they do a couple holes, it's limited coverage, but they try it, and uh, and I believe they still do it. Uh, so, I mean, those guys really were the originators. I tell you, golf on the radio works as well, if not better, than any other sport. But much like other, every other sport, you got to know what you're looking at. If you've never seen a basketball game before, you can't follow a basketball game on the radio. But, you know, the same thing, baseball is, is almost the perfect sport on the radio. The pacing of it is really good. Yeah. But that's because everybody in their mind knows where first base is. So if you've never seen golf, then it, it's it's a tough follow. But if you've seen it, then then I think we'll get you the rest of the way. And especially this week at the Masters, because not only have you seen the game, but you know the holes we're talking about. So we love being descriptive. Most of our work is done on a week like this. You know what number 12 looks like. Mm -hmm. I don't have to tell you about yeah. it. Now, I will, but if I get it wrong, you might correct me, which just doesn't happen to much you know, on the radio. So uh, it's a whole lot of fun, and I, I have a great passion for it. Well, Brian, like I said, I appreciate a few minutes. I know you're getting busy uh, getting ready for this. And, uh, again, appreciate it. Let's uh, talk some more maybe next year when the Masters happens in April. Let's hope that does happen uh, next year. Oh, I, I sure hope so. I don't. <laughs> we're, we don't have enough time <laughs> to go into that. <laughs> it's great to be on with you, Ken. I appreciate it. All right, that's Brian Kedrick. Well, we'll wrap up this podcast in just a moment. Hey, football fans. The Daily Gazette You Pick'em Football Contest is back. Predict the winners of the weekly games via your You Pick'em online account. The fan with the most correct points each week gets their name in Thursday's Daily Gazette and wins a $100 ShopRite grocery gift card. The fan with the most overall points after 23 weeks wins a $1,000 travel voucher and could win a trip to Hawaii. To play, go to dailygazette.com football and create your account or use your past account. Select the teams you think will win. You may enter your picks and score predictions five minutes before the start of each game. For official rules, go to dailygazette.com football. For questions concerning the local contest, contact Randy Lewis at rlewis at dailygazette.net. The trip to Hawaii is part of a national contest. The You Pick'em Football Contest is run by the Daily Gazette Advertising Department and not associated with the Daily Gazette Sports Department. Hi, this is Mark Kestisher, the voice of the NBA on ESPN Radio and proud member of the 518 from Gilderland High School. You're listening to the Parting Shots Podcast with Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor, Ken Schott. Now, here's Ken. Back to wrap up the podcast, and let's go with some uh, unfortunate uh, news we've had over the last couple of days, uh, beginning with uh, Alex Trebek, the Jeopardy host, who lost his uh, two-year battle with pancreatic cancer at the age of 80 on Sunday. You're watching Alex Trebek uh, host Jeopardy for all these years, and uh, just an amazing man, and 
He seemed very friendly. Uh, I remember Alex Trebek back uh, back in the 70s when he was hosting uh, game shows like um, The Wizard of Oz and High Rollers. He had that big uh, big head, head of hair and a big mustache. And, and he came on Jeopardy, I think it was 1984, and uh, he you know, took that program to another level. I remember, you know, of course, I'm old enough to remember when Art Fleming hosted the uh, Jeopardy program when it was on NBC. But uh, Jeopardy is a must-watch uh, with that and Wheel of Fortune, and uh, we're sad to see uh, Alex uh, lose his courageous battle uh, with pancreatic cancer. In the sports world, uh, Wayne Dean, who was the deputy athletic director at Yale, passed away on Sunday at the age of 65, and this really caught us off guard. Uh, Wayne and uh, I was a wonderful man to be around, and you know, he was involved with hockey at Yale. And really helped to help develop that uh, the program there. And of course, they won a national title in 2013. And uh, you know, Wayne and I have spent many times in the press box chatting about uh, hockey, about life. And uh, so, um, and he just had just retired in July uh, from his job. So it's just it's, it was really a shock to the system when we heard uh, that Wayne passed away. And finally, Tommy Heinsohn, uh, Boston Celtics, as he was, was described by the owners of the Celtics. The ultimate Celtic. He was 86 years old when he passed away on uh, Tuesday. Uh, a life well lived uh, as a Celtic player, coach, broadcaster. He was around for all 17 of the team's championships, and uh, uh, he was. You know, he, his broadcasting skills may not have been uh, what you've been trained to do, but he loved the Celtics, and he was not afraid to uh, let you know how the Celtics were always good in the. Uh, the opposition is always bad, especially the 76ers, right? But, uh, but uh, just a tough, uh, tough week here not in uh, entertainment and in sports. Check out my Parting Shots blog for my Week 10 NFL picks and TV listings. Go to dailygazette.com slash category slash sports slash parting dash shots. Once again, I am going head-to-head with Daily Gazette news columnist Sarah Foss. Sarah went 8-6 and six last week to improve to 90-42-1. I was 10 and 4 to go to 88, 44 and 1. Keep checking out dailygazette.com and the print edition for the latest updates in news and sports on the coronavirus pandemic. I want to thank all the doctors, nurses, and first responders who are dealing with this pandemic. We appreciate the job you are doing in this difficult time. The second wave of the coronavirus is hitting us, so please be vigilant. Keep wearing the face mask while you're out. Be considerate. Be safe. That wraps up another edition of the Parting Shots podcast. I'd like to thank Tim Healy and Brian Katrick for coming on the show. The Parting Shots podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CastBox, and SoundCloud. Subscribe today. If you have questions or comments about the podcast, email them to me at shot, that's S-C-H-O-T-T, at dailygazette.com. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Slapshots. The views expressed on the Parting Shots podcast are not necessarily those of Gazette newspapers. The Parting Shots podcast is a production of Gazette newspapers. I'm Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Schott. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you next time. From the Parting Shots podcast studio in Schenectady, New York, good day, good sports, be smart, stay safe.